right, well, <laughs> it's good to be back in our Sunday school hour again. Um, I think Noah prayed about Sunday school no less than once a day this week. <laughs> He's been very excited. So, did I see Darlene is going to... Good, good. All right. <laughs> well, let's pray as we begin here then. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time for us to meet here again. And though it's been um, three months since we've had our Sunday school hour together, we uh, are thankful for the, the many things that we can learn um, and, uh, and have learned over this time. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to bless our <coughs> abilities to, to read and understand your word and that we would uh, rightly divide it for your honor and glory. And uh, we pray that um, you would extend your kingdom then among us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I apologize. I've been cutting wood all week and mowing, and <clears throat> I'm just a mess this morning, and so is Matthew. So uh, <clears throat> I'll uh, try not to be too grexy, as uh, Nalene's dad would say. <laughs> so... Um, As we return here now, after a few months off, um, I thought maybe it would be beneficial for us just to uh, begin by sharing a little bit with each other, uh, maybe some of the things you've been thinking about or learning here in the last few months, and, um, you know, whether it's related to the topic at hand or not, and um, I just thought we'd kind of ease our way back in a little bit here this morning. And, uh, and start with that. So maybe I'll start with one thought that I've had and uh, then I encourage you to share. Um, I thought the shutdown was a great blessing to our family. <laughs> um, it was nice to have everybody home. Um, after homeschooling for years, it's been hard the last few years to, to have Nalene and Emma and Matthew away. And then, of course, this year with Nathaniel away. And it's just been uh, difficult in a number of ways, and so it was nice to have everybody home. Um, it was a bit louder in the house. I did my studies with earplugs on many times, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it was nice, and uh, didn't have to run Anna everywhere. And um, um, you know, obviously there were things that were hard about it and that were not good in terms of missing school and of course felt bad for Nathaniel missing a couple months of college and being with his friends and so forth but uh, but on the whole I was very glad we were all together um, Noah was just ecstatic <laughs> he was so excited to have us home especially Matthew and they became what was it blood brothers is that what they said is that I think that was the term they they said something like something um, team brothers that's what it was team brothers yep yep yeah right (laughs) well they are blood brothers anyway but uh, yeah team brothers that's what it was and so they were saying that for uh, several weeks and just enjoying playing together made it hard for Matthew to get his work done but anyway (laughs) so uh, I've heard other people say similar things nice to be home as a family and so that's uh, one of my thoughts anyway um, 
any that you'd like to to mention here Dale That's okay. Well, I, I would agree that your <coughs> connection to our reformed understanding of work and labor is is very much part of this discussion, and uh, it it has always boggled my mind that somehow hundreds of people at Walmart is safer than a few people at a small business, health wise. I, I just that that has never made any sense to me at all. That decision. Um, other things make sense to me why they made that decision, but I'm not going to get into that. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have been thankful for all the things that Wolf has done that I have not agreed with. I am thankful that he never said that religious organizations could not meet. Um, there are other states where the governors have said differently, as we know. I've been very thankful for that. Other thoughts.
and at least in our house, that's one reason why we wanted to push to have something for Bible school this year. As, uh, as Naylene said a number of times, I feel so bad for the kids. They're missing out on so many things here. And, and uh, that's really motivated us to want to do something uh, for the kids, even though it's not as normal as, as we would. They're little people and important. Yeah, okay. I've been very thankful that our church has done quite well financially over the last three months. And uh, uh, thank you to each one to be faithful in that. Uh, But ultimately, thanking God for his faithfulness. I know of other churches where they have been really struggling financially through this because so many of their members have lost their jobs and, you know, that kind of thing. I've been very thankful and. And most everyone here in the congregation has been able to work at least a little bit. And uh, I'm thankful for that, too, um, through these last few months. Malachi. No, it's okay. (laughs) I think it's chapter 3, if I remember correctly. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Stan. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we were just talking to someone recently that said that their church didn't contact them the whole time. And um, they, they said there was one just brief, how are you doing? But it wasn't really any kind of you know, extensive checking in, as it were. And I, I've thought many times, you know, if all this happened even 10 years ago, our abilities to keep in touch with each other would have been very different. And the fact that we could do Zoom or you know, larger churches, that's kind of hard. So they did Facebook Live or something like that. Um, it's just uh, I'm thankful for the technology that we had to stay in touch with each other and um, work from home. I know you, know, you two were doing that, Dale, right? You know, lots of people were doing work from home and maybe drove you nuts to some degree, but uh, <laughs> at least we could still work. Um, ten years ago, uh, what would have happened? I mean, it would have been very different, I think. Um, so I've been thankful for that, though it's certainly not ideal. At least it's something. <laughs> so. Other thoughts? Yes, Susan. Other thoughts here. There. 
Yeah, it was nice when we were doing the Zoom that we had people from different parts of the country join us for our service. So, yeah, definitely. <coughs> Any other thoughts? <coughs> well, um, a couple of thoughts to, to share from my perspective, is uh, um, due to the the virus and shutdown, and and then here more recently with the the protests and riots and such, I've I've been following the the news and such maybe uh, more than I might typically do, and um, just wanting to be aware of what's going on and 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 so forth and. Two thoughts in that way. First of all, I um, have observed this and known this for for many years, but it was really amazing to me to um, to hear the different perspectives that people give on something as can you say nonpartisan as a virus and what to do to uh, help people, and yet I was still surprised at how partisan it became and that really troubled me that we can't set aside these differences um, to, to try to help people you know whether it's is hydroxychloroquine good or bad I mean why does that have to be a partisan thing just figure it out and the studies they did on it um, were manipulated <laughs> to get a certain result it's just why this is this doesn't make any sense so you know <clears throat> whenever you have a fact or an event you're going to have different interpretations of that fact or event but what what really bothered me through all of this is that you had some people trying to interpret the fact and let the fact dictate that interpretation and then you had others who were trying to change what the fact was either through not saying anything about it through um, taking things out of context to give it a different message uh, or to frankly just make things up. Um, And I was just like, I mean, this has been happening. The whole Russia collusion and the whole um, impeachment thing, you you saw that all the way along. It's a totally different storyline. And they have totally different facts on certain things. And many of those facts are, are frankly just made up. Um, on the the liberal media side of things, um, you know, obviously the conservatives are going to have their slant on it, but they're not really making up facts and distorting facts as the liberal media has done, and they were doing it here throughout the whole pandemic and the shutdown and so on and so forth. And it's just so I kept thinking of the the men's forum that I did in in February, and um, uh, I heard someone say just the other day. That basically, we can't trust what we hear in the media, and we have to become our own investigative reporter. We can't just turn on the news and expect to get the facts, and even a fair interpretation of the facts. We have to be our own investigative reporter and find out what are the facts. So, for example, here on these riots and protests and so forth, you watch CNN and they're going to say they're all peaceful, except a few bad folk out there. You watch Fox, 
and they're going to focus on the bad folk and not say as much about the good protesting. Um, and, and it's more than just a difference of position and view. Um, it's, it's trying to present a certain story of those facts. And um, it just, again, just kind of blew my mind that on something as basic as health and human well-being, uh, the, especially the liberal left media, were distorting things so egregiously. Um, so, you know, I just encourage you again, don't just watch or read one or two things. You really need to pay attention in order to get the facts. And I'll give you one example of it. Um, have you heard about what happened in Seattle this week? My dad commented, we, we had him for dinner on Friday. He's like, uh, he was with some friends on Thursday for dinner. And he just was, you know, carrying on conversation. And, and he said, hey, have you heard what happened in Seattle? I remember everything happened on Tuesday where this group took over central Seattle to set up a new country. They're calling it CHAZ. Um, let's see, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone is what it means. And um, um, so this happened on Tuesday, and Dad was with him on Thursday, and, he's, and he, the way he described it to me was he was talking to one of his friends. He said he watches the news religiously. Every day he watches it at a certain time, and he hadn't heard a thing about it. And that really struck me because even when the liberal left started talking about it, it was all about a summer of love. It's the way they're describing it. So let me then say a few things about this and just briefly about the protests and so on. Um, and, I, and I want this to be, if you will, a modern history lesson because we, we need to understand what's actually happening um, because it's, it's much more than what we are being told. Um, and so let me do it in this way. About 50 years ago, uh, you might remember many events took place. Obviously, the Vietnam War, assassination of MLK, assassination of Bobby Kennedy, um, you know, things related to that, right? And um, you had all the protests against the Vietnam War. You had Kent State. Um, and in particular, you remember there were certain what they call anarchical groups and revolutionaries, radicals. And in particular, you had the SDS, the Students of Democratic Society, and the Weather Underground, but there were others. And uh, Bill Ayers, Bernadine Dorn, right, he was a professor at Chicago, University of Chicago. And uh, that led to the Days of Rage, right, the riots in Chicago. And uh, he was instrumental in the bombing of police barracks in uh, New York City, Capitol Hill, uh, Capitol Building, and the Pentagon there in the early 70s. And um, uh, he's been, you know, continuing to teach. Very influential in politics in Chicago. Uh, in fact, uh, he visited Obama in the White House at least two dozen times while Obama was president. Um, so why do I mention all this? Well, if you want to know what they really believe, find their document, Prairie Fire, written in 1974. They're not just end the war kind of 
hippies. They want to actually take over America. They want a revolution, a total change. They hate capitalism. They hate constitutional republic. They hate Christianity. They hate everything good about our country based on the scriptures. And they actually want a full revolution, not just a few changes. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's hard because if you do a search on it, they're going to have all these things and make it sound good. You got to listen to what they say, in 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 their meetings and, and so on and so forth. And you can find it if you look for it. So, um, at the time, there were uh, a number of professors, musicians, you know, these kind of things, that were a part of all this. Right? Think of the Beatles. Right? Their song "Imagine." Right? De Blasio even referenced it here a week ago or something. And it's all about the idea of revolution. And um, you know, at the time, there weren't that many people that were a part of it, but there were a significant number. Well, now fast forward 50 years. Black Lives Matter didn't just start six years ago. They are the descendants of this mindset. The Antifa groups are descendants of this understanding and approach to things. They want revolution. Now, if, if we talk about Black Lives Matter, there are actually three groups within it. And the one that if you look at your website and you know, look at most people on, that they put on television, at least CNN and related ones, they're going to be the peaceful protesters that want to end racism and police brutality and things that we would probably agree with. We wouldn't have too much show. I think, didn't you say, Dale, about All Lives Matter here a little bit ago? You know, we're part of that, right? And we agree with that. We need to love our neighbor. And this is probably the largest percentage of the group. But then there's another percentage of the group, and this is what we've seen the last few weeks. They are the violent element of it. And they're the ones burning businesses, destroying businesses, and so on, and, and hurting cops and so forth. It's now upwards of a thousand police officers and federal officers that have been injured in the last few weeks. And over 20 of them have been killed. And one of them was a retired black policeman. And so we had three funerals for George Floyd, publicized on TV, on and on and on. But his wasn't even covered by the mainstream media. Uh, there's, you know, listen, what are they trying to tell you or not tell you? So anyway, this is the one that's destroying things. So like in Minneapolis, I think it's upwards of 500 businesses were damaged and 75 were burned completely. And that's just Minneapolis. Um, so that's the group we would say, absolutely not. This is not right. But then you have the smallest percentage of Black Lives Matter, and they are the Marxists. They are the descendants, ideologically, of the Weather Underground and the SDS. And, and they want revolution. And it's this group that took over the first precinct in Seattle and established a new country in Seattle. The, I've heard numbers, and they seem to be reasonable to me, that about 10 or 15% of the American population agrees with this idea of revolution. The problem is you have lots of professors, 
in universities that believe it. Almost all the mainstream media believes it. And many, of course, actors and musicians believe it. Um, the governor of, uh, of Washington, the mayor of Seattle, they believe it. This is what Obama grew up believing. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to give you an opinion. I'm trying to give you facts here, history. Are you aware of what's happened in the last three weeks and what it means, what they're trying to do? Some of them. Some of them want a better society where blacks and whites get along. We would agree with that, but there are others that want to fundamentally transform America into a Marxist state. And I'm not sure they're going to be successful this time, but in another 50 years, if things continue the way it is, I, I think they will be. And so, one, we need to be aware of it, because, um, again, this is an opinion. This is just paying attention to what's going on. And the other thing is, are we ready? as believers to stand because you know they're going to oppose God's people. That's their whole premise. They hate Christianity and what Christianity means. Um, so um, <clears throat> this week was a huge week with the takeover of Seattle. And we'll see what happens um, going forward. Some conservatives say, ah, oh, let it happen and crumble and fall apart. Others say, no, we need to go and stop them. So we'll see what happens, um, what Trump and others will decide on that. Um, but don't see it as these peaceful protesters who just want to have this loving panacea of a society. Um, some want that, but others want something very different. They want a, a Marxist state in some way. Um, so... Um, anyway, just a few thoughts that I've had here about this matter, especially this week, in light of what happened in Seattle, and is happening. I was encouraged that the uh, governor of Tennessee said, this ain't happening in Tennessee, <laughs> because there was talk of them doing it in Nashville. And he said, nope, that will not happen here. And uh, you can tell your progressive governors versus your conservative governors because where the riots are happening are almost exclusively with your progressive governors. Um, they agree with these things. So, so anyway, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to... Um, one thing that has been said over and over again in the last few weeks is they've been calling on community leaders and pastors to speak about it. So here are my thoughts. And again, I'm trying to present it as factually as possible. I have other opinions on the matter, but uh, it's just there's this connection to revolution. And um, so a few thoughts in that way here this morning. So <clears throat> we have a few minutes left. And uh, so maybe we have time just to review what we talked about uh, before we, um, we were... Um, sent home, as it were. And <clears throat> you remember a year plus ago, I talked about the prophethood of all believers and some of what that means for us. And at the time, we focused on the idea of the mouthpiece and how the mouthpiece is not to be center stage. 
The mouthpiece must do things to focus on God. And, and so we talked about some of that. But then the first part of, of that Sunday school was basically being a student of the word. And how can you be such? And so that's what we're emphasizing now. How can we be students of the word and improve on that so that we can then be faithful mouthpieces by communicating what God has actually said and not just our opinions and and so forth. Um, So we started here uh, on this section then with the doctrine of inspiration and what it means and Uh, all the implications of that. We then talked about the issue of transmission. How was the the Bible transmitted? How did the rabbis train for it and copy it? How in the New Testament and such? So that led led to some of the discussion about the different manuscripts. And you have the two basic family of New Testament manuscripts, and, and so we talked some about that. We talked then a little bit about the canonization of the scriptures. And what that means is... How they decided which books to include in the scriptures, especially the New Testament. The Old Testament is pretty easy because Jesus and the apostles say, hey, the Hebrew Old Testament is scripture. And they say that repeatedly. And not the Apocrypha, but the other stuff. So the question really revolves around the New Testament. And so we spent some time about that. Then we addressed some of the different terms that go with all this, like infallibility and inerrancy, the authority of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, you know, things like that uh, we addressed. So this was all, um, if you will, uh, foundation. Uh, the big fancy word you might remember is prolegomena, the things that we talk about uh, uh, in terms of what we believe about the Scriptures, first of all. And then we transition into more of this issue of interpreting it. And so we started with the most basic principle, I think maybe yeah, I still have it here, and that is Scripture interprets Scripture. Obviously, we can't call up Moses and say, hey, what did you mean by the word day? Hey, for one example. And we can't call up Paul and say, you know, what, what were you really saying to the Corinthians there? Um, so we have to let the Scriptures interpret themselves. And since it is God's word, and it's all one basic message, um, we can do that. But this, this is our pattern. This is our starting point. We let the scriptures interpret themselves. And, uh, and, and many times it's pretty straightforward. But those unclear passages, right? We just looked at 1 Timothy 2 here recently. And we use some clear passages to try to help us understand it. And, uh, and so forth. And then uh, we talked a little bit about context and how uh, there are different circles of context to help us to understand what is being communicated. And of course, we do this all the time uh, when we read something or listen to somebody. Uh, we don't necessarily think about it. So here I still have it up here. Um, you know, what is the verse saying? You might have a question about a word or a phrase. Well, what's the whole verse say? Then what do the surrounding verses say? What's the immediate section say? What is that section of the book communicating? What's the whole book communicating? And then any other works by the author? Like, you know, obviously with Paul, we have a lot to look at. Um, and then you look at the whole Testament, New Testament or Old Testament, and the whole Bible. And then historical context is important as well. 
to help us to understand, and sometimes um, it gives us great insight. Uh, other times, not so much, but uh, we can look at the history of interpretation there as well to give us an understanding of, of a particular passage. Um, and then, most recently, then I started on this big uh, term here, the historical grammatical method of interpretation. And it's very much the same idea here, but it, it's focusing on something more specific. And that is <coughs> that um, and in order to understand the scriptures, we need to understand its history. Not just the history in which it happened, you know, like you know, the uh, Roman Empire or something like that. But that's a factor, right? A historical context. But this has more to do with the history of the scriptures itself. So, um, here in the book of Acts, right, when we go through the missionary journeys, right, focusing on the events, what happened. As we say, history is his story, right? God's story. It's a history. History is a revelation of God's mind, God's plan, God's ideas. And all of scripture in the end, is couched in this story. So even the more abstract things uh, fit within the story of, of uh, God's dealings with his people. And so the basic idea here is the better we understand that history, the better we understand, say, the events of the conquest or the events of Paul's missionary journeys or the events of... Um, you know, the fall of Jerusalem or, you know, whatever it is, the better we will understand the teaching from it, the theology that we're supposed to understand and God wants us to live by. And, and so we can abstract that theology like the Westminster Confession or something like that, but it must always be couched within this story for us to fully understand what's going on. Because if we abstract it, and we remove it from the story, which is something we need to do. But if we stay over in the abstraction and lose the story, then we actually end up not understanding the story. It may be good at first, but over time you lose that connection and you end up in, in error or even heresy. And so um, this idea of historical, grammatical, the first idea is to focus on the history. Here's what happened. Here's who the people are. Here are the places and so on and so forth. So, you know, I regularly say, pull out our maps. Here's where Paul went. Yeah, he went through this mountain range. He went to this city. He picked up these people along the way. That's part of the story, and it helps us to understand the message that God wants us uh, to learn from it. And then the other aspect of it is the grammatical. And so this then is looking at the actual words, the grammar, the syntax. Okay, that's a noun, that's a verb, that's a participle. What is that telling us? So, for example, here in 2 Timothy, uh, I spent time, especially on verses 11, 12, and 15, working us through the grammar and the syntax. Here's the word, here's what it means, and then what does that teach us about Paul and his saying, women should be silent? Or women are saved by childbirth. We have to look at the grammar 
Because these are God's words, and every word is inspired by God. And so as we look at the words themselves, that will give us then our understanding. We must do it within the context of the story. So like in 1 Timothy, I keep referring to the events in Ephesus, the false teachers, and some of the things that Paul is addressing. To give you that narrative, this was Timothy at a certain time in history, It wasn't just an abstract discussion. And so we put this together. And um, this has been um, a Reformation teaching, and in particular a Reformed teaching here now for 500 years. And um, we were just talking to someone here recently who said, well, uh, both the, the husband and the wife grew up with something like that, but they've been going to a church recently where they're not doing this anymore. And they're um, they're missing it, you could say. They're they're as they said, they're tired of the topical sermons because it's not really communicating much anymore. And um, so, <clears throat> I'm just doing what's been done for centuries, <laughs> uh, following this methodology. So, um, last time you may recall, we had an epic fail. And I tried to show you some maps and such on the overhead, and you could hardly see them. So in the meantime, uh, I think it was Diane, I don't remember if you were a part of that, but uh, she made some copies. So uh, we ran out of time here this morning, but I'm going to have us look at this to focus on some of the history, and you can actually see it this time. And, uh, and then you can have it, and you can uh, stick it in your, your Bibles and such, and and use it. Um, so we'll we'll do some of that next time, and then spill into this issue more of, of the grammatical aspect of things. And um, and again, the whole goal here is to be a faithful prophet, a faithful mouthpiece of the word of our God, and uh, understand it and communicate it to those around us. So let's pray then. Our Father and our God, we we thank you for. Um, for our morning and this opportunity to gather again here for Sunday school, we, uh, we thank you ultimately for your word and what you have given to us. Help us to understand it well uh, for your name's sake. And we are thankful, too, that you govern all things, including the events of the last few days and few months um, that have affected us in so many different ways. And uh, we are thankful, Lord, that... Uh, none of it is beyond your control or plan, and um, uh, may we understand your your story as it is happening and unfolding. Lord, we we pray now for our worship together that you would bless our um, our worship, and that you would extend your kingdom among us here today. We pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat>